Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. We have a very special guest uh, that I've known for quite a few years, Tom Kazoyan. Welcome to the podcast. You know, I see if you agree with, agree with me on this. I started my my shooting and my documentary work with travel in the 1980s, and um, back then, uh, clients or projects would send you out across the world with a camera and a camera team sometimes, which is always nice. Um, and then as budget shrunk, it would be just me and uh, Canon XL1 back then, which I was so glad to have a sure. smaller camera and a smaller tripod uh, to go around. I think those days have changed so dramatically and drastically because a lot of uh, groups and organizations, especially in faith-based, can simply make a call and they can either uh, buy footage or they can hire somebody locally. Or the other thing that always made it difficult for me, maybe for you in some ways, is they would find someone young that's just out of college that would do the shoot basically for free just to get the airline uh, ticket and to, to do the sure. trip. Things have changed. I don't think you could do it the same now. Uh, that you could have in the 90s or into the 2000s, or for me, especially in the 80s. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think, that, you know, it's always changing. Um, yeah, when I first was traveling to, you know, Cambodia and Myanmar and all this stuff in the late 80s, early 90s, it was beta cams with, you know, massive, you know, it's Sackler tripods and, you know, <laughs> big Anton Bauer bricks and chargers and anvil cases, yep. you know. And we have hundreds of pounds of gear. And then it became, you know, mini DV cameras and things like that. Um, I think that, you know, it's, I think it's always been the case. So when I was starting out in my career, sort of in the mid early eighties, um, it was sort of the dawn of desktop video a little bit. And so corporations started pulling in their, uh, you know, they started trying to do it in house. It's kind of like desktop publishing was, you know, everybody got a Mac and a laser printer and now we could do our own newsletters, right? We can write our own books. We do everything. We can, you know, publish our own materials. And then they discovered the downside of trying to do it yourself without the skilled expertise. So I saw several times where companies, uh, we would do, we'd have a, a you know, we do a series of videos for a big corporation, Fortune 500 company. Then they would get the idea, oh, we'll just bring it in house and we'll use video toasters and these other kinds of early sort of nonlinear systems and things. And then two or three years later, literally I went to a company and they hired me to catalog their stuff as they were selling it at a fire sale, basically, you know, oh my. They, they, they fired their staff, they figured, and then they rehired my company that I was with to do videos again, because what they discovered was there was a value in the expertise and they didn't want the big black hole of technology you know, equipment that just went obsolete. And it was also, it was also Tom more expensive in the long run to hire a staff with all of the things you have to do with, you know, taxes and, you know, right. Salary yeah. than, than it was to simply hire good qualified freelancers. They did the project, they handed you the tapes back then or the discs or whatever, and they went on their merry way. Right. I, I think that for a ministry, I totally understand the financial pinch to say, you know, 
oh, you know, who's, you know, the cost of hiring Craig and Tom as a, as a production team to go fly to Africa to create some set of stories for a nonprofit. Well, there's, there's some cost to that. I think what they, what people don't necessarily understand until they've been through it and they've seen the results, they don't necessarily understand what comes with the experience. It's not just cool pictures. You know, I see ministries, ministries that I'm connected with sometimes they'll create something and I, and I look and I go, wow, that's, there's some, and they hired, you know, they got some, uh, you know, blessed some, some guy from LA, you know, who was a hot DP wannabe director or something like that, who shot something that looked really amazing. You know, they came in with really like a really cool aesthetic sense and things like that. But, but quite often in the end, you know, other people, people look at it and go, well, you know, it's like the story's kind of lacking, you know, because it sort of is a one dimensional skill set. But it, looked, but it looked really great. Um, it looked amazing. And especially in a visual sort of Instagram-y age, I see so much stuff all the time. It's like, wow, what a cool, like, you know, get this camera, you know, and, and we go through phases of what's the hip look, shallow depth of field or, you know, whatever is the thing, um, drone shots or whatever. But if the story's not there, you know, I'd rather have me shooting with my phone but a really compelling story that's edited well, um, but it's not as flashy. And so we, we, it's easy to get caught up in the cool and new and miss the time-honored storytelling principles. And that's just, it's just, it's, that's a, it's been happening for, you know, hundred years of filmmaking, right? Very, very well, well put. Uh, hip and new and cool isn't always the best way to tell a story. It's, it's what people come away with from the story and how they react, whatever reaction it is that the filmmaker and the group and the director want and, and, and the writer as well, an editor. Yeah. Well. And, I, and I don't, I don't want to say, you know, I don't sound like an old curmudgeon by any means. I, what I think is the perfect scenario is bringing people together who have different skill sets and experiences. And, and um, you know, I love to work. I, I'm more in a position now where I would love to have, a really creative camera person who's fresh out of film school but has some experience that I could work with and we could collaborate. And so maybe I don't bring that brand new sensitivity of the TikTok world or whatever um, to it, but I have a lot of years of experience as a storyteller and bringing them both together, I think is always the best of both worlds. And I did that even when I was doing commercials, I'd hire DPs who were better than me because <laughs> you know, I wanted my commercial to look great. <laughs> I'm no fool. That are, talk about that for a second. Uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of people are insecure. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very insecure industry. Uh, and uh, there are those that will not hire other people that are better at that craft when that is the, the most foolish thing possible. As a director, I want a DP that's way better at camera and lighting than I am because then everybody uh, benefits from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's valuable for me to know how to light a set, and I can, and I, sir, I, I worked as a DP. Um, but there are times when what's valuable about that to me is that I can speak the same language. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to be in charge. And I can, again, I can just depend on somebody. Uh, I was doing a, a project last fall in Europe and 
and it was great because I had a camera guy who once we got to know each other, we, we sort of were acquaintances before I just, I just let him go, you know, and he trusted me and I trusted him. And, uh, I was officially the DP, but I'd been around, it was a context where I wasn't trying to prove myself. Like, you know, it wasn't a Hollywood. I was trying to do a great job for the team of people who is, who I'm connected with and I love. And, you know, so there was no, there was no sense of territorialism in that context. And that, that to me is the perfect scenario where I can use my experience and occasionally be brilliant. But there are other times where I get stuck and I don't know, I don't have to solve this problem. I don't know what the best way is to do this. And then you have a team of people. And even if it's a young person, um, yeah, you know what, help me get unstuck and let's do this together. That is a healthy environment. Now you don't always have that even with professionals because it's a creative industry. We have fragile egos. We may be angling for something, you know, to take over this gig. It might actually be the case. <laughs> um, but that's an unhealthy culture in any work environment. And so you always have to sort of find those relationships, find that network of people who have that level of trust, and then you can just do amazing things. Tom, I found, you know, I'm, I'm going on 64 years of age and I'm pretty much semi-retired semi because I moved away from Los Angeles and the phone doesn't ring uh, anymore or very rarely. And that's okay. I'm, I'm happy with it. I have a, a different career in teaching and speaking on media and film. There is something that's going on in a trend is that a lot of companies and ministries want someone young, they want Luke Skywalker, when maybe they should desire Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, even more to kind of guide uh, the production and the, the projects. Well, mm -hmm. What would you think about that? Well, I think, I think filmmaking is naturally a collaborative medium. And so it's rare, except for, you know, the person in their basement doing stop motion animation, you know, there's almost nothing that you can do by yourself. And that's what I, that's what I tell my students. It's like, you know, learn how to do a lot of things, but then um, understand that the ideal to me, even as a person who is kind of a, you know, I have high standards. I'm kind of a, I have a hard time delegating sometimes. My ideal scenario is always surrounding myself with a bunch of geniuses <laughs> who have great attitudes. Like, could that, is that possible? Maybe. Um, but value, but valuing the team thing, uh, some organizations get that because their their leadership has that openness to both new and innovative, and and without a fear, but also a, a, an understanding that young people um, also benefit from help from being mentored and guided. So it's not a benefit to a young quote unquote young or whatever age. Um, a filmmaker, film, whatever visual, a creative person to just be given free reign. That's not beneficial to any of us to ever be given free reign. Even at my age now, I, 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 you know, boundaries are good and guidance is good and collaboration is essential. So I think that, um, you know, if, if we, if we're wise, we look to both to say, you know, if we really feel like visually this needs to be super cutting edge, teen oriented well you know you aren't going to hire me to do a k-pop video you know sort of a thing but am i aware of it yeah i'm aware of it and what and maybe there's some things i could help bring to it that are valuable 
in terms of the bigger picture, shaping the story, uh, executing things technically, things like that, I can still bring to it. But my, my visual signature isn't that important, right, as a filmmaker. So I think that if we embrace that opportunity, we're, we save ourselves some grief because you, you, you can run it, you can see, <laughs> you can experience grief um, by creating something that has all sorts of really cool things about it, but misses the mark in terms of effectiveness, doesn't really communicate with the audience. Um, because you focused on one thing in particular, you obsessed over being uh, you know, cool or cutting edge or something and missed the time-tested sort of principles that do apply in any context, uh, you know, in any genre that, that comes up, there's still things that, that are true about storytelling and what work with an audience. So if you, if you neglect bringing people in who have different kinds and levels of experience and even age, I think you're missing an opportunity there. Well said. Really enjoying this conversation with Tom Kazoyan, professional uh, TV director, documentary filmmaker, and also teacher. We'll be back after these messages. This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig. Really enjoying the conversation with Tom. Let's uh, continue and find out some more wisdom. You know, I want to transition from that to work ethic. One of the things that I find in my workshops across the world, especially uh, in developing countries, I just have to say it is that I get so many people, young people that want to be famous uh, and they want to, they want everything for free and they want to put in the, the minimum of effort. Doesn't mean that there aren't others that really realize that you, you've got to roll up your sleeves that we would say in the English language um, to, to work at this as a craft. But too many people want to take a shortcut to being successful Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you see that at all. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, but I, I find it troubling. And maybe it's just a young person thing. Uh, I want to I wanna be successful. I don't want to have to work very hard to do it. But this is a craft to be learned and, uh, and for us to teach. And so you, you got to apply yourself, yeah? Right. In my experience, and you've done a lot of workshops in various cultures, and I've done the same thing, um, I always expect that there will be, if I have 20 people in a workshop of some kind, I always go in assuming that most of those people, you know, I want, I want all of them to learn something and take something away that's valuable to them, but I'm, I only assume that maybe one or two of them really has the natural gift and motivation, and you know, we call it a work ethic or whatever, but it's a combination. Some of it is natural aptitude. People get stuff. People are, there are natural creative people. Um, you can't, you know, not everybody, you know, is going to be yo-yo ma just because they practice cello 10,000 hours, right? There's, we kind of have myths about those things. It, it does take a gifting, but it also takes that motivation and self-discipline. And I see that all the time. You know, there's some students like, man, that, this person has got it. They're going to go somewhere. And then five years later, I'll catch up with them and like, yeah, you know, they, they found this opportunity or that opportunity and they've pushed themselves to do it. So some of it's just natural personality bent. Uh, 
in those cases, especially if I'm, if I'm trying to work with, say, a ministry in a majority world country, they want to get into media. What I'm looking for is the people who are going to be the rock stars, right? This is the people who are really going to be the core and the key to making it work. If you don't have anybody like that, well, then you just wait and pray maybe <laughs> for that kind of person. But other people can serve a role to those, that smaller subset of people who are highly motivated. Um, in that case, that kind of person, they, they, they might still be, they might lack life experience. So they might still be somewhat naive. Like all I have to do is this and I'm going to become rich, famous, whatever, brilliant. And my first feature film is going to be amazing. Um, but then they, they, they will learn from that experience when they kind of get that beat out of them or they, uh -huh. they, they fail at something, you know, and failure is their super, super important thing. Um, everybody should embrace, you know, failure often. Um, but then, but those kinds of people who are, who are the ones who are the highly motivated, gifted people, they're going to learn from that and keep going. The people who are truly, whatever you want to call them, slackers, <laughs> or, or just completely naive, they'll either learn from that and say, oh, I guess I'm going to learn from this. And they'll rise up and, and try and with some more maturity, or they'll give up and they'll, they just aren't going to ever make it you know <laughs> and you can you can you can tell people that of course but we have to experience we can only possess the things that we experience so that's the that's the sad reality of it i can lecture my students all day long about hard work and, <laughs> and i just observe <laughs> they either have it or they don't or they can uh gravitate to hard work especially if it's something that's important to them Right. Yeah. I think that there are plenty of people who, yeah, you don't know which way they're going to go. At this moment in time, this person is a quote unquote, quote failure, but I can't tell necessarily whether they're the ones who are going to shake it off and go, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm going to really try now. And that, you know, all of us go through seasons in our life probably where we're slackers and we have to make it a choice. And if we choose to pursue that, well, then, then there's a real chance that, that we're going to be successful and be fruitful in that. And people who don't ever rise up, um, yeah, they'll, they'll do other things. <laughs> if people wanted to, uh, to connect up with you and correspond with you, see your projects or pictures and such, how would they do that? Are you, Tom, by the way, has a company called 10X Productions. I think it's 10xproductions.com. Mm -hmm. If I'm if I'm correct, dot uh, org is the better one. Ten okay. X Productions and and it's one zero X Productions dot org, okay. which is a relatively inactive website. Oh, okay. <laughs> but there's there's some stuff on it. Okay, and if they wanted to find you, I'm sure they could find you on Instagram or Facebook and other places like that. Yeah, yeah, linked LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I don't currently have a personal Twitter account anymore. I I, I mothballed that, but. Um, I am part of a, a group doing mobile ministry stuff. So Mission Media Coach on YouTube is a channel that I run. Um, and there's a Twitter feed for that as well. Um, professionally, probably LinkedIn is the, is the best, best place nowadays uh, to connect me. And, and I go by my just normal real name on LinkedIn, Tom Kazoyan. So it's easier to find me. Spell for everybody your last name. Yeah, so it's Tom, T-O-M. Uh, last name Kazoyan, so it's Armenian, and if you just so pay attention, so it's K H A Z O Y A N. 
So it's simple to pronounce when you stare at it, but people always add odd letters into names that are intimidating, right? I would think they do I-A-N way more than Y-A-N. Right, right. So that's my Armenian background. It's a Y-A-N though, so which is unusual. You know, make the transition for the moment. We've gone from the days of beta cams and some people aren't even going to know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, and in my, I started out with two inch quad back in the late seventies. So I, uh, I really am a dinosaur in. Oh race. man. That's so, so, so much before my time, Craig. Okay. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's go with your version. I like it. I certainly did not like lugging around two inch quad reels. Uh, I had to literally have a cart. Uh, if yeah. I was doing a commercial with different clips uh, or, or scenes on different, reels uh i literally would have to have a a cart with four wheels and go to the library or the vault we called it and pull pull i haven't thought about this in years two inch quad uh, tapes and put them and i would wheel that into the edit suite and i would just start pulling uh, clips off of that so that that goes way back but let's let, let's get to the the germ of my thought here which is we've gotten to the point where you could shoot everything uh or most everything on your cell phone and also, um, you can put most everything in a backpack uh, as well and go around the world and shoot projects. And they'll look absolutely fabulous if you know what you're doing and you have a good story and good scenes and good storytelling. It has changed. It's, we're in a great day right now. Mm -hmm. The opportunity, you know, we used to think, you know, when, like I talked about desktop video, you know, when we were, when we were finally able to get away from the tape machines and edit good quality video on a PC, basically, that was a massive change, right? So all of a sudden you didn't need, um, you know, I was building CMX suites, interformat, one-ish machines, not, not, not quad machines. Tell, tell people what uh, CMX was. So CMX was the state of the art. It's kind of like Avid or whatever, you know, CMX was the controller for multi-machine editing suites, online editing um, in, in the industry, television, yeah, film. And, and, you had, and you had a list. Right. Yeah. And you had this, you had a keyboard that was a dedicated keyboard that controlled machines, switchers, title generators, digital effects boxes, everything all at once. And it was kind of like this dance. It was really cool. I wish, I wish I had a reason to do it again, you know, cause it was just the, 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 the thing of rolling six machines at once through a switcher and triggering events. It was kind of a fun thing to do until you wanted to change something. And then all of a sudden nonlinear said, you can go back and undo. You know, all these things you did. And you would preview, um, and you would preview, 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 preview until you said, okay, let's record it. But you know what, what it, what it taught me though, and this is something that, that I try to teach people. So the very first guy I worked for in a post house and I was editing, I was right out of school, basically had done some editing. He, um, he was the guy who taught me uh, to always mark my in and out points on the fly, never park, never shuttle, never you know, inch of tape back and forth or anything like that. Always just, you know, you, know, you hit the button, you hit the in, the I key or whatever. And um, I became a super fast editor on a CMX in an online bay. And uh, I was, I was just really good. I, I, I got a rhythm. It was a rhythm thing. It's almost like being a musician. Um, once you change into where editing is like word processing, you start micro, you start doing stuff at this micro level. Like I'm going to like, I can inch this forward and I sort of jog back and forth between these two frames and which one's the right frame to cut on and things like that. So, you know, for like narrative film or action or something like that. Whereas if you, if you, if you do it by feel, it just makes, it makes you faster. And 90% of the time 
you're probably right, you know, once you get experience. And digital editing is different. You know, people don't, people don't use keyboards, you know, they use the mouse. And, but good professional editors, avid editors and, and people editing film and, and stuff like that, you know, they'll tell you, you know, use the keyboard. Um, and, you know, learn keystrokes and fast things to do it. And I think the analog days are sort of the hybrid, the digital slash analog days of the CMXs and things taught a lot of kind of logic of how to build things that, that was valuable to me. I, you know, I knew how to layer things for effects because I was, I was building things on tapes and then layering more generations of tape in and all these things. And when I, when I got into After Effects, and I've, I've, After Effects is one of my favorite tools, my lo the logic of compositing in After Effects works because I can I'm almost visualizing things you know like I like I did. Now you can jump into that as a digital native and think about it, but there are we can't ignore the benefits of some kinds of sort of tactile things, things that involve rhythm and not just depend on ones and zeros and things like that. Really enjoying our time talking to filmmaker Tom Kazoyan. And we ask and invite you to listen in on the next episode. Thanks. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.